Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Hey, good to see you guys today. I am excited uh, for what is about to take place. I'm pretty excited about uh, this message that I'm sharing today and confident that God wants to use it to speak with us this morning and to, to shift something in our hearts. And I wonder if we could, in the, the moments that we share, just, just commit, like, God, I'm going to give you this time. It's amazing. The Bible says that God is outside of time. He's both the beginning and the end. And yet you and I, we all live in a linear fashion, right? We had our first moment. We celebrate it once a year on a birthday. For some people, they celebrate their birthday month, which is interesting. After you turn, like, seven, that you'll probably move on. But and then we all we don't know what that day will be, but we we've got like a last moment, and all the moments in between have to be experienced moment by moment. Like that makes sense, right? God's outside of time; we're living linear, and yet, like moments like this, I just feel like if we would say, "God, this time is yours," it's yours. It's amazing what God can do with a little bit of time in our lives. So let's commit these moments and uh, dive straight in. Jesus, over these next couple minutes in Your Word, I pray that You'd speak profoundly to us. We ask that uh, we would have the type of heart that we don't need you to warm us up, but we're ready. We don't need you to, to entertain us. We're, we're prepared. We want to receive from you all that you have for us today. I pray that you'd use these words to, to shake us down, that you'd use these words to move us forward. We pray this in your name, and everybody said amen. Amen. You can grab your seat this morning. We are concluding our series of messages called Be About It. And uh, in conclusion to this series, uh, I want to be clear, we're not going to stop being about it just because we're not going to preach a series called Be About It. This is a stance or a posture that we as, as people of Vivid Church take when it comes to the Word of God. We want to be about it, not just look at it, not just read some words, but actually put them in to practice, put them in to action in our lives. And so today I want to I share a message that, that, that maybe is the most Be About It type message you could hear. Like possibly this is the most straightforward exactly into what it is to, to be a person of the word that you could possibly hear. I want to speak a message around this topic of forgiveness, forgiveness. And uh, if you're taking notes, you could write down what is between us, what is between us, what's between us. I don't have this uh, next passage on the screen. I just was reminded of this verse this morning, this passage of scripture this morning when we were in. Uh, New Westminster. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, if you could. We'll start here. What is between us? I love words. Anyone else? I love words. Like I, I like not only, uh, you know, the sound of them, but the meaning behind them. Uh, so I will tend often to look up the etymology of a word. Okay. Some of you are like, I need to know what etymology means. Etymology essentially means where did the word come from? Like how did that particular word come into being in the English language? What did it used to mean and what has it come to mean over time? The etymology of a word. And uh, throughout the, this series, as we've been preaching on topics about what it is to be about it, we've also been writing like a daily devotional blog, just short little entries on our, our website around these, these type of words. And the words that have really caught my attention are these words with the, the prefix B-E, B-E. Like be, like like for instance, the word, um, the word like beyond. Okay, the etymology of the word beyond. These words that start with a be prefix, 
it essentially means to be very present where the other part of the word is happening, okay? Like to actually presence yourself or to bring to completion the second part of the word. So a word like beyond means to be present yonder. Now, we don't use the word yonder very often anymore, but what it means is like, I want to live a life that's beyond this. Have you ever said something like that? Meaning I, I want to be present, not just here, but yonder. Like where we're going, that's where I want to be at my best. That's where I want to be activated. That's where I want to be focused. Uh, another example would be uh, like the word beware. Beware. I want to be present in awareness. Okay, so like I like I don't want to just live life looking out of my peripheral vision and things are happening in my blind spot all the time. I want to beware. I want to presence myself with this posture or this stance of awareness where I'm aware of what's taking place in my life. You following with me? These words. Another word, for instance, you got you got beyond. You got beware. You've got. uh, Let me think. A word like um, like behind. It actually means to be present, hinder. Again, we don't really use hinder very often, right? But then there's this word here, like between. Okay, between means to be present by two things. Makes sense, right? Be two. They put them over together, put them in a little concoction, shook them up over time, and out came, it came in the English language to be present by two different things. And the question I want to pose today is what is between us? Like, what's between us? Lewis, could you come up and help me here for a sec? This is my man, Lewis. If you've never met Lewis, he's a great guy. Been in Vancouver like four weeks now, so he's a veteran. And, uh, and you know, this, this is what, what the, the Scripture is saying today, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, if you could turn there. I'm going to have Lewis just help me out in this real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, he has no idea why he's up here. I could just, I mean, he's, he, he's so attractive that I could just have him stand here and talk and maybe... Keep your focus a little bit better than typically. But here we go, Ephesians chapter 4. Check it out. It says, as prisoners of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What it's saying here is that you and I need to be unified together through a bond of peace, that we need to be like like together. See, we're, we're, here's the thing. He tried to hold my hand like he's leading. I just can't do that. <laughs> like, like, that just feels so weird. That's so crazy. Like, like, like Jennifer and I have been together a long, long time, and we have never once held hands like that where I've come from behind like that. Just too weird. So, sorry, man. We're just going to have to do it this way. Just uh, condition. Okay, like, like we're called to be unified, to be linked together through the bond of peace that essentially there would be nothing between us, or more accurately, that the thing between us would be peace. But what happens is over time, Lewis and myself, like something can actually come between us, where I'm like, yeah, that's him, and this is me, and we're just different, and that's cool. But the Bible says, no, 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 we make effort to stay together. We have to stay unified. Now, Lewis is different than me. Lewis has a different swag than I have. 
Okay, like, like it's just a starting point. He's got a different accent than I have. He probably has different preferences than I have, certainly has different opinions than I have. We are not the same. And what happens far too often is that people think because we're not the same, we can't be unified. Because we're different, that's what separates us. And we use it as an excuse. We're like, what's between us? Oh, it's our, just our differences. Like, I'm just a different kind of person. He's got a different kind of swag than I have. And so we're different. And, and, and we let that be an excuse for us to lack unity. But the Bible says that unity is worth efforting for and needs to be kept through a bond called peace. Now, that bond is, is a Greek word for a ligament. A ligament that holds two joints together, okay? I'm going to do a little biology lesson here. Everyone, a little refresher. What's, what's this bone? Oh, man, you guys are so smart. What about this one? Trick question. There's two of them. Yeah, okay, awesome. There's a couple of them down there. I know you know. I know you know. Liz is like, I know this stuff. I know it. I'm sitting in the front row for a reason. Okay. Okay, but think of it. And then, like, what's this one right here? Patella, I just call it a kneecap, but you can get technical if you want. You know that this one actually develops over time. Babies are born, and this is not developed, and then it develops over time because you wouldn't be able to crawl with it. Crazy. Anyway, like, remember as a kid, you're like, the leg bone's connected to the knee bone, and the, right? So, so you're learning stuff, right? A kneecap is not similar to a femur. Would you agree? Like, like very few things make them similar. The, the DNA within them makes them similar. Like they are, they are from the same body, but they are different. They have different functions. And what allows the kneecap to work together with the femur is actually the ligaments that hold it together. It's like peace that allows two bones that have different purposes and different callings to work together for the same thing, right? In fact, for me to move forward in any direction, like this bone is doing totally different things than this one. And if we're not careful, we're like, oh, that bone thinks different than me acts different than me. What a bonehead. Like they're doing different things. We can't work together, but we actually can. We can be totally different. We can have totally different skill sets, makeups, even preferences, and yet work together through a bond called peace. This ligament that allows two different things to be held together. I think too many Christians, they're looking for people just like them. It's like, I just want to be like in a, a bag full of kneecaps. Like I'm a kneecap. I need to find people who think like me, act like me. Like that can't do anything. That is not a living creature at all. And the Bible says we are the body of Christ, different, diverse, and held together by unity, like a ligament. Imagine this. Earlier this week, my daughter Sophie, she sprained a ligament in her hand. And so she was play, playing a sport. It sprained her, her thumb. And as a result, the thumb was not functioning the way it typically functioned. Now, imagine if I were to say, oh, man, that, that looks like some ligament damage. I, I guess we'll just cut it off. Like, get used to living without a thumb because the ligament is not working properly now. But our, far too often, like, Christians do that. Like, oh, I got offended at that church. That someone there hurt my feelings. That's it. Cutting it off. I had this friend before. We had a disagreement. It just, like, it went down kind of shady, cutting it off. And they end up saying, like, like the, the, the end goal needs to be just separation, isolation, be apart, and don't work it out. Now, what I did, I actually went around and I took some, some tape and a splint, and I held it close together. Let today this message be like a splint that's saying, hey, I want to come around what maybe has been damaged. There shouldn't be anything between you. Come around it and make sure it's held together. And where there is damage, we actually need more pressure. Where there's damage, we actually need more support. Are you following me? 
Because the Bible says that we are on a mission together, that we are called to a purpose, that God has a big plan for us, and in order for us to achieve it, we need to work together. We need to always be asking, like, what's between us? The only thing between us ought to be peace. But far too often, thanks, Lewis. Thanks so much, man. Far too often, the thing that is between us is pettiness, offense, hurt. Whether we think it's legitimate or otherwise, they're, they're, they're things that come between us, and they cause us as a community to be immobilized. They cause us as a community to be ineffective. And when I say community, I'm talking big C, like, like across the city and across different ideologies that we would look and say, like, oh, I'm different than that person, and so we can't have any sort of connection. And the Bible says this, there's only one God, that there's only one baptism, there's only one call, there's only one Lord. And if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, then it is your mandate to be unified together, like to actually be held together through the bond of peace. Now, what is the, the beginning of that passage says, live a life worthy of the call that you have received. Like primarily, what is the call you and I have received? God has called us his friends. God has called us forgiven. God has called us loved. God has called us chosen. Get this, the things that God calls us are about what we are being, not what we're doing. People are like, oh yeah, I'm called to be like an evangelist. Cool, evangelism, I, I get what you mean when you say call, but what this is talking about is live up to that name you have been given. You are new. You are forgiven. God would say this, you're mine. And if that's what God calls us, he says, live up to that call. Live up to that call of unity. Like, yeah, but it takes work. Exactly, that's why it says make every effort to keep that unity. It takes a lot of work. If we just want the easy way out, isolation is easy for now. It just has massive ramifications later. Like in, in good times, it's easier just to be alone. But when, when trial comes, when hardship comes, if you don't have anybody in your corner, you are like a dislocated kneecap. You can't actually live up to the purpose God has called you to without people who are different than you being held together by unity. So what else comes between us? Offense. Plain and simple, what comes between us? Hurt. Discouragement, disappointment, the things that leave us feeling like, like, you wronged me, and if you wronged me, like this is just wrong now. You see, forgiveness often we hold as like a teaching tool to make somebody pay for what they did. I'm going to withhold forgiveness from you so you feel it. But, but I think it was Lewis Smead who said this, that, that when we forgive, we set a prisoner free to find out that prisoner was us. Like when we forgive, it's not just releasing the other person it's saying, I'm no longer connected to this thing. And we find, oh, it was me that was imprisoned all along. Do you know, like, I think most of the offenses we carry, it's like we're drinking poison expecting it to hurt someone else. It's like we got a little flask of poison, right? You know? Remember, we can't believe what they said. We just take a little hit of that and we look over expecting them. They don't even know. That weird passive aggressive, I'm still sort of angry at you thing. People are like, oh, I don't know what their problem is today. Right? Like, like it's people like, I just can't believe that, that, that uncle of mine, the things he said. But he doesn't even know. And you walking in that bitterness is not hurting him in any way. It's actually only holding you back. So I want to challenge you and call you maybe like a splint around a damaged joint. Like to bring a little bit of pressure 
where you feel like I just want to be left alone, but the Bible's actually saying, no, no, you need pressure in this area to hold it together. Don't be dislocated. Don't be pulled apart. You need a little bit of pressure to help you to actually have healing in this place. Let me answer two questions for you today. Two questions for all of us, okay? Number one, why should I forgive? Why should I forgive? Great question. It's a fantastic question. I'm going to give you two answers to that question, okay? First answer, why should I forgive? Because we've been forgiven and we've received grace. That's the first and most fundamental thing. Why should I forgive? Because I'm forgiven. Why should I forgive? Because the call that I have received from God is forgiven. And if God has extended forgiveness to me, then he is calling me to walk out in that forgiveness. You could say that forgiveness flows from forgiveness. If you have your Bible, open it up uh, uh, to the book of Matthew. I think we have this one on the screen. Would be awesome. Do we have that reference on the screen? Matthew chapter 18 and verse uh, 21. Let me read you this incredible little story of Jesus. Matthew 18 and 21. It says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations would say 70 times seven. Now, now I want you to understand the interchange that was happening here is that that Peter, he was he was already being extreme, okay? The rabbinic teaching of the time, the rabbis taught that if you want to be a good person, how many people in the room you say, I'd like to be good? Are you with me? Okay, like if you if you showed up and a rabbi of the time was teaching on what it is to be good, the rabbi would say this. I know when someone wrongs you, you, you don't ever want to forgive them, but but we want to challenge you a little bit, like to forgive them. And then if they they do it again, forgive them twice. If you want to be a really good person, three times, but that's it. That's a max. Like three strikes, they're out. Three times of forgiveness. And, and, and in that time, that was radical teaching. Because people were going, but wait, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They hurt me, I hurt them. And the rabbis are like, no, 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 no. Let's be good people. Let's elevate our thinking a little bit and just crank it up a couple notches. Go from one time forgiving to three times. I had a friend once, they're like, oh, man, I just trust everyone. Like, I meet you. I learned your name. I trust you. But if you ever cross me, you're dead. And that was their policy. I'm like, that's a bad policy on both sides. Like you meet someone and your first thought is, I just trust you with my deepest secrets. That's crazy. But you have no room for grace. So Peter, he was already showing up. He's like, hey, Jesus, I just, I want you to know, like, you've changed me. Being in your presence has really radically changed me. And so I've got this new mantra to live by. If somebody wrongs me, Get this, I'm not just going to forgive them three times like a good person. I'm going to double it up and add another one. I'm talking seven-fold forgiveness, and everyone else's background like, oh, Peter, whoa. And Peter, like, he's like, he didn't even have a mic, but he just dropped it. He's like, there, you got it. Everyone hear that? He was saying it loud enough for the whole crowd to hear. He's like, I just want you to know that's how, that's how, how much Jesus has meant to me. I'm going to double it up and add a little bit of extra seven times. And Jesus goes, oh, no, Pete. Uh, no, you don't understand this grace thing at all. Like, I want you to forgive limitlessly. Like, multiply that by an impossible amount. Like, like it's not that 70 times 7 means 490. Like, Jesus is talking poetically. Like, like imagine if we kept a list. We're like, hey, I'll forgive you. But that's your fourth warning. Three to go. Right? Like, I like, that's it. Like, cats have nine lives. You got seven. You got three to go. You burn, 
Wow, you wasted one of the, one of my forgivenesses on that? That's crazy. You're down to two, right? And Jesus is going like, just don't keep track. Like, don't keep track. Forgiveness flows from forgiveness. If you've been forgiven, then forgive. And he goes on to tell a story to illustrate his point. Check out this story. It says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children be thrown into prison until their debt was paid. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt. Notice this. He doesn't say, okay, I'll give you more time. He goes, oh, man, I just love you. Don't worry about it. Forgiven. Over. That same man, now, now you got to catch this. He didn't longer like need to collect any money. He was completely free. That same man left that interaction. He found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him by the throat and began to choke him, said, pay me back what you owe me. This fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they went to the master outraged and they told him everything that had happened. The master called back the servant and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, he threw him into the, the, the jailers and said, keep him until he's paid back what he owed. Now, now give context. You're like, oh, a hundred bags of silver and a thousand pounds. Of, like, what, what's this mean? Okay, the, the debt owed, the 10,000 talents of gold is equivalent to 192,000 307 years of wage. He owed the master 192,307 years of wage. I don't care what you think minimum wage should be. It's a lot, okay? He owed him an impossible amount. to. He was a servant. He was never getting his hands on that kind of money. His pity that he asked for is like, please, just give me more time. I'll do it. Like, no, you won't. It's 192,307 years. I almost threw off the 307. Like, ah, it's just a round it down. No, no, 307 more years. It was an impossible debt to pay. And the, and it, and the extended grace was not an extension in time. It was, we'll just call it forgiven. You now owe me nothing. You're free. And in that freedom, he went and found someone who owed him what was equivalent to 100 days wage. Still a lot. Again, doesn't matter what you think minimum wage should be or what kind of job you're looking for and what hourly you think you're worth. A hundred days worth of wage is still a lot. But it's nothing compared to 192,000 years. You following me? Like, like it's nothing. And here's this servant in his own freedom going and finding someone else and extending no freedom. And the master says, you have not understand how profound of a debt you were repaid if you're still holding on to pettiness. In the very same manner, I want to say to you, if someone's hurt you, it's probably real. If someone's hurt you, it's probably like, like what others would say is a legitimate hurt, and you, you deserve to be angry. But at the most, it would be like this comparison. They owe you 100 days wage. That's a terrible amount of money. But compared to the debt of sin that we were forgiven from, from Jesus, oh, man, we're good. We're good. I, let me just extend some forgiveness your way. Why? Because I'm forgiven. Number one reason why we forgive is because we're forgiven. If we don't forgive, we probably have yet to 
grapple with that revelation of how truly free we are in the eyes of God. Number two, second answer to the same question. Not only do we forgive because we have been forgiven and received grace, but we forgive because we will continue to be forgiven and receive grace. Come on, this should get somebody excited because we're going to need it. I remember when uh, when uh, Jennifer and I when and I proposed and we got engaged, I told her in a very romantic manner, I said, just so you know, I will probably disappoint you more than anybody else, probably let you down because I'm flawed and imperfect. And, and guys, I kept my promise. Did it. <laughs> I am a man of my word. It's amazing, right? Like when people, when you live close with people, when you're trying to be one, when you're trying to be connected, man, little things can come between you. And there's a, there's a constant need for grace to be extended. And, and here's what the Bible says. Not only have we been forgiven and shown grace, but we'll continue to. Jesus put it this way in the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. Luke chapter 6 and 37. Jesus is talking about uh, this principle of give and it will come back to you. And he says this. If you give, it'll come back to you in a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will it be poured into your lap. And of this he was speaking of judgment. He says, if you give judgment, here's what you can expect. A good measure of judgment back to you. Like a healthy serving of judgment coming back to you. If you give pettiness, here's what you can expect. A healthy measure of pettiness coming back to you. Like, like we're gonna, it's going to be pouring into your lap. But if you give forgiveness, you can expect forgiveness to be poured back into your life. Good measure. How, how do I best describe good measure? I think of a buffet. Anybody? Anybody like a good buffet? Man, you go to like a wedding, and the best part of the buffet for me, I'm not speaking to everyone, but for me personally, is like I start the buffet with the end in mind, okay? I'm not thinking about what comes at the beginning. I'm thinking about what comes at the end, and that person who's wearing the little white hat and has a couple of knives out, okay? They're carving some sort of roast animal under a light, and I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's important to think about, have the end in mind when you begin, because they try to get you, okay? Like they get you with those big, the big buns, right? You got to take the bun and hold it under the plate. There's no reason wasting good plate real estate on bread, okay? God gave you two hands for a reason. You hold the bun under the plate, so you still have a whole plate. Then they try to get you with all the colorful salads. Do not fall for the trick. Those colorful salads will not fill you up. They all are made of some sort of noodle and mayonnaise anyway, just Breeze on by. One salad max. That's my rule. Just the one a one salad max. Doesn't matter what colors, what sauces, just one salad max. Because I, I'm living with the end in mind. I'm living with the end in mind when there's someone there and then they ask this beautiful question, one piece or two? And I'm like, I, I will take two unless you were holding out on me and three is an option. If three's like I want a good measure. I don't want the scraps. I don't want the leftovers. I want a I want the good measure. I want the good cut. Are you following with me? Here's what the Bible says. You will get a good measure, a healthy portion of what you give. So if you give bitterness, ooh, you're going to get a healthy measure of bitterness coming back at you. If you give passive-aggressive pettiness, oh, that's what's going to be pouring into your lap. But if you can learn to extend forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness in good measure. Why do I forgive? Number one, because I've been forgiven. Number two, because I'm going to need to keep me forgiven. Like I, I want to position myself to receive more grace. Are you with me today? See, words are powerful. The Bible says we got to be careful to make sure nothing comes between us. 
on that, words are powerful. I, was, I read an article the other day uh, in, in Comox, the city of Comox, their local newspaper. Uh, they have like a, a parade happening this week, a Christmas parade. And uh, it's just exciting. You know, there's like toys for kids and there's a parade. And, there, and then it also said this, that you can get your picture with Santa, but they misspelled the word Santa. All the same letters, just in a different order. It said, you can come get your picture with Satan. <laughs> Amazing. Words are powerful. <laughs> Come, celebrate the Christmas season. You can get your picture with Satan. And they put it out and sent it out to the whole city. It's amazing how, how getting you know just a couple things wrong have a really different meaning. And the truth is when it comes to forgiveness, we can get a couple things wrong here and miss the whole meaning. Like we could read that verse and think all it had to do was talking about money. It could apply to that. And it often gets preached that way. If you give, it'll come back to you. And you're like, oh, that's a cool money verse. This is a judgment verse. This is a forgiveness verse. Let's not get it wrong. Maybe you can apply it in that way, but this is about the way we interact with our offenses towards people. So let me answer the second question. First question is, why should I forgive? Second question is, who should I forgive? Like, who are the people I should forgive? Let me give you four answers to this one. Who should I forgive? If you don't take notes, today would be a great day to start. Who should I forgive? Number one, Forgive the ignorant offender. The ignorant, be a fun word to use, right? Like, how you know, I, I forgive you. You're just ignorant. <laughs> Have you ever had that person who's like, hey, I just want you to know, hey, I forgive you. And you're like, I didn't even know there was an issue. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've hated you for years, actually. It's been, you know, under the surface for a long time. Maybe we could get better at that conversation. But the Bible says this, forgive the ignorant offender. Jesus, as our example in Luke 23, 34, he is on the cross. They are, are casting lots for his clothes. He's been unjustly beaten, unjustly tried. He is about to die a sinner's death, though he was perfect. And his words are this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Imagine if that could be our default. When we are hurt, we start with the assumption they probably didn't know. They, they had no idea. When they said that thing, they had no idea that they're the ninth person to point out that flaw. They had no idea how triggered I was. When they, when, they, when they did that thing, they had no idea that my coffee maker wasn't working this morning and I'm feeling a little bit tired. They have no idea what my weekend was like. They have no idea the, the backstory of my relationship history when they were talking about their relationship and it left me feeling like I'm on the outside looking. They had, just had no idea. That person had no idea that their joke would sting that much. They had no idea. They had no idea. Like the person who cut you off probably didn't notice they cut you off. They just have no idea. I've had so many profound moments of freedom that come from just quoting this verse as my own when I think they had no idea that when they did this, I would do that, and then they would do this, and I would do that, and here we'd be. They had no idea. It wasn't this strategy to destroy my life. They had no idea. And so I'm going to extend forgiveness like Jesus has with this thought. Oh, they just didn't know. Like, wouldn't that be an amazing default setting? You call IT, you're like, hey, my computer's not working. They're like, have you tried starting it? You're like, yes. That's why I know it's not working. Imagine if our default setting was like, oh, they probably didn't know. Like when someone sends you a text and it sounds curt, you're like, oh, they probably were smiling when they sent that. They were probably multitasking poorly. They didn't know. They were just ignorant. They didn't know that K... Sounded like K. They were probably like, K. <laughs> they just didn't know. That would be a great place for us to start, just quoting the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They didn't know. Number two, when people become aware, the second type of person we need to forgive is the repentant 
offender, the repentant offender, the one who recognizes they didn't know, but now that they know they're sorry, now that they know they are repentant, now that they know they're apologetic, they want to make things right. Unfortunately, I think we handle this wrong a lot of times. In conflict, we're pointing out, do you know what you did to me? Do you understand how that made me feel? Do you get it? And finally, there's a moment of realization like, oh, now I see. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't worry about it. That's not fair. That's cheating, all right? You can't say don't worry about it when you've been pointing out the, the offense. See, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 3, uh, 17 and verse 3, Jesus says this, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. In other words, if you're hurt, let someone know that you're hurt. And if that realization causes them to be repentant, forgive them. It sounds simple, but it's not always easy. In our family, this is like a rule. Like saying whatever is not allowed. The only appropriate response to I'm sorry is I forgive you. Not it's okay. Not it didn't hurt anyway. Not whatever. Not let's just forget it. Not just oh, it's fine. Not None of those. I forgive you. And then we're going to move forward like you're forgiven. I think for, for all of us, we, we kind of, we want people to know how much we're hurt, but we don't necessarily want to let them off the hook. Maybe because we think that forgiveness can be used as a tool to help change and modify their behavior. And it's like, if I forgive you too quick, you might just do it again. If I forgive you, you know, if, it, if it's that easy, you might end up putting me back in a corner where I'm hurt again. The Bible says, oh, don't, don't be like that. Be free. Be free. If, I, I think it's important to note as well that if they hurt you, rebuke them. Like rebuke, it essentially means this: just point out that's not okay. But then when they're repentant, forgive. Number three, the third type of people we need to forgive, and I'll call the band up. Third type of, of, of person is this, the repeated offender. The repeated offender. This one's not easy. Following that last verse, Luke 17, in verse 3 is verse 4. It says this, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. The repeated offender. The person who keeps on stumbling over the same thing. person like, here we go again. Uh, you, I thought you were just ignorant. But now you even know how much it hurt me and you still said that? I thought you were ignorant. You said you were going to try your best. And like five hours later, this is your best. I, like I thought, I thought you were repentant. You said sorry three hours ago, and here we are again. You hurting my feelings again. See, the thing is, forgiveness is not a one-time event. It is a lifestyle of freedom for you. It is a lifestyle of freedom, of understanding your forgiveness that allows you to be forgiving. So we forgive the ignorant offender. Some of us can think of some of those. We actually walk through the process of forgiving the repentant offender and god give us strength to forgive the repeated offender now, now don't get me wrong i'm not saying you, you you be someone's doormat forgiveness is is not positioning yourself to just keep on being being whipped and being hurt there needs to at times be caution that's put into place you're like i am definitely forgiving but i'm also going to be aware i'm not just going to be foolish but the thing that's holding me back is wisdom not bitterness like wisdom would say, I need to be careful how much trust I put put here. But it's not bitterness. It's not fear that's holding me back from being closer. It's just it's wisdom that's creating a boundary. Number four, and lastly, the Bible also says we need to forgive the unrepentant offender. This is the toughest one. 
I don't know about you, this is the toughest one. Jesus is talking, teaching in Matthew chapter 18, and he says, if someone's offended you, first go to them, show them how it's hurt, and keep it between you. If there's something between you and someone, the Bible says first and foremost, keep it between you. But here's what we can tend to do. We go find some people who tell us that we're justified to be mad. <sighs> I can't believe he said that. Oh, man, he deserves your bitterness. And we find enough people, and it relieves that sense of injustice that's happened to us. And we're like, yeah, it's okay that I'm angry. And the, the issue is that over time, the hurt will bubble back up again, and then we need to find more people to get upset with us. The Bible says, first thing you need to do, go to them. Like, don't let that thing grow. Don't let that thing take root in your heart. Don't let that thing multiply in your life. Go to them right away. Say, hey, when you said this, here's how I heard it. I might be wrong. You might be wrong, but we got to solve this. Let's keep it between us. Like, this eliminates gossip. Just cuts it off. What happens if you, if you don't go to them immediately and you share it with everyone else? you got all these secondhand offended people. They don't know why they're mad. They're just kind of, yeah, I don't like them either. But you weren't there. That's okay. I'm with you. And, and, and they feel like that's what's helping you, but it's actually only spreading. In Hebrews it says this, that a root of bitterness grows up to defile many. Second step, the first conversation doesn't work. The Bible says then find someone and go with them. Like so, someone who loves you and loves them, who loves the truth, who's not walking in their own offense and not trying to help you win this thing. They just want to stand with you and support you and help mediate and bring some closeness. They want to be like a splint that comes where this joint has been affected and say, hey, let me just add a little bit of pressure and keep, let's have a conversation. And they're going to walk in the same type of grace, humility, and love, and man, reconciliation's the goal. The Bible said if that doesn't work, you've had two conversations now, they've both failed. You know, for, for some of us, we're like, that's, that's two more than I ever wanted to have. I don't like confrontation anyway. I'm out. Well, the Bible says take one more step. Like, like bring someone who's got some authority. The, the illustration Jesus uses is like bring someone from the church, like someone with some spiritual authority. If you've got an issue with the sibling, maybe it's like the parent in your relationship who can step in and say, okay, I, I want you guys. You're not hearing each other right. We need to have a talk. But bring some authority into the situation. Someone, again, who's got wisdom and discernment and is able to help point out the, the flaws, point out where we're missing things so that we can see things for the way they truly are and move forward in reconciliation. But then the Bible says this, if after that they are unrepentant, then begin to treat them, Jesus says, like a heathen. In other words, like treat them like a person who just doesn't share the same value system as you. Treat them the way you would treat someone who just doesn't, doesn't look at the world the same way you do at all. Now, how do we treat people like that? Friendship, love. Yeah, I got grace for it. If I walk out of this room right now and someone I've never met walks up to me and says, you're ugly, I'll be like, oh, cool, thanks, man. Like, like, honestly, it won't affect me that much. It's totally different than someone I know and love, right? Why? Because, like, oh, I don't even know who you are. I don't share your value system. Like, we're not, we're not close like that. We're good. And the Bible says that if, if a person is unwilling, when you've spoken to them, you've brought a friend, you've brought authority, and they still don't want to repent, they're, they're, they're digging in their heels, then, ah, oh, it's cool. They just don't value the same things you value, right? Like, you're valuing unity. They don't value unity. That's cool. That's okay. Now just show them love and grace and kindness and perhaps the model that they see in you, the hope you have, they too will find themselves at one point called by God, forgiven, chosen, loved. And they'll find themselves, and then you're going to have to work through being connected together with someone who, who used to hurt you. But that's what the Bible says. It's like reconciliation, always the goal, always at the heart. Would you stand with me today? Let me, let me read you this scripture as we close. Yeah, I hope this is helpful. I know it's super practical. 
It's funny where we did series B about it. We've preached on like prayer, forgiveness, having faith. I guess maybe if we could just do these basic things, it would it would change the game completely. Look what the Bible says in the book of Mark, chapter eleven, and uh, I believe verse twenty-five. Mark chapter eleven, and verse twenty-five. It says this: And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. If you hold anything against anyone, think of how total that language is. Anything anyone when you stand in prayer if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven also forgives you in other words this is what the bible is saying if you insist on there being something between you you actually put hindrance between you and god when you become aware i've got something between someone else there's an issue going on between us if you can't forgive you now positioned that issue in between you and God, and it hinders your prayer. It hinders your ability to communicate openly with God because you're like, hey, show me what's next for my life. He goes, no, no, no. What's next for your life is living up to your calling. You're forgiven, and that forgiveness needs to inform your forgiveness. So here we are. We're standing in the room together. If you'd bow your heads with me, close your eyes for a moment. Oh, look, now we're standing in prayer. And as you stand in prayer, if you become aware that you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. I hope I'm not being trite. I hope you don't feel like I'm saying it's just simple, it's so easy. It's going to take work. It's going to take, it's going to take a revelation of how much grace God has given us. But he give us that. So Jesus, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice, either in this room or listening later online, I pray that as we stand in prayer, you'd give us a soft heart, awareness of anything that we hold against anyone. Individuals or groups of people, perhaps we say, oh man, I've been hurt by this type of person. I've been hurt by a church. I've been hurt by business. Maybe we can think of specific family members, past friends. We can think of hurt that we, we hold and it's like a little flask of poison we sip at when we're feeling low. Right now, I pray that you'd set us free from those things, that we'd really walk out in freedom, anything against anyone. That we say, man, there's nothing between God and I because I am walking in the same type of overflowing forgiveness that he extended to me. We thank you, God. You forgave us the 192,307 years of wage like a debt we could never possibly repay you. You have forgiven us. And in that forgiveness, let us walk in grace just like you and reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.